Thank you very much. Uh, you might have asked yourself by this time, is there any general formula for achievement uh, in the astonishing spread of fields that are represented here uh, today? The answer is obviously not. As far as style and education and political ideology are concerned, the binding feature uh, is that uh, these uh, representatives uh, who are reporting to you today uh, love the work they've chosen, uh, and uh, they do it without worrying too much about their income. Money is what you earn to buy time to do the thing you want to do most in life, and your success is going to be measured by how much and how well you do it, and the strength of your character is going to be measured by the amount of good you can accomplish in pulling in, uh, all of this off. Uh, so uh, what will be uh, uh, the uh, object of your personal vision? Uh, your chance of success is greatest if first you follow your instincts. That's been said by other speakers already, and not what other people tell you or what appears to be successful and most promising at the very moment of your <coughs> decision. And second, if you do something unusual, and third, if you work, and I can't emphasize this enough, long, long hours to do it well. Uh, there's a poem I like very much by Sappho, a lady, who said it just most of this in four lines in ancient Greece. Some say a cavalry corps, some infantry, some again will maintain that the swift oars of our fleet are the finest sight on dark earth, but I say that whatever one loves is. And now I'll come right out and say it and to get down to earth, literally. Um, I love insects and other little creatures. I started as a kid in Alabama and Florida uh, collecting uh, butterflies and snakes. There's nothing unusual about that. I think a large percentage of Young people uh, have a period of collecting butterflies or stamps or spiders or something icky like that. Uh, I, I just never grew up. Uh, I turned to insects, I have to say, in part and stayed with them because I can't hear in the upper register, so I couldn't hear birds and go out bird watching very well. And I'm blind in one eye. Uh, but I have excellent vision in the other eye. So this makes me monocular, and it puts me down to the centimeter scale whenever I go out on a walk. I don't look at meters or kilometers. I look down at centimeters, and I do very well. Uh, I wish I could uh, express uh, to you adequately the deep pleasures of exploring the natural environment in this way, where you can concentrate on small creatures, the little things that run the world quietly, turning the soil, seething under your feet, channeling the energy holding us all up in ways you haven't begun to dream about, keeping us all alive. For example, in the world there are, I estimate, approximately one billion billion ants. If you took them and you weighed them, they would weigh approximately the same as all of the human beings weighed together, uh, although they're one, only one millionth our size. Um, now, uh, it's also interesting to note that uh, you or anyone could easily discover uh, new species in your, while in your teens, uh, there are new species within a walk of this room, I can assure you, undiscovered. I did it. I uh, dreamed someday of exploring the Amazon and New Guinea and remote places with unpronounceable names. 
They were Alabama swamps writ large in my imagination. You can imagine the almost infinite beauty of, uh, com and complexity of each and every small organism, however small and humble, understanding that when you hold one butterfly or one ant or a beetle or a flowering plant in your hand, you're holding an object of greater complexity than all of the machinery invented by man in the history of time. It took a million years or more to create by relentless evolution through natural selection. The average lifespan of a species and its immediate descendants has been estimated to between one and 10 million years. It's encoded the species by DNA, which if it could be translated first into pure bits, bits of information, and then into English script would just about fill, this is one species, all 15 editions of the Encyclopedia Britannica written since 1768. If you take the DNA from a single cell of a typical eukaryotic organism like a mouse and you spread it out into its full strand length, then you would have a molecule approximately one uh, meter long uh, but you couldn't see it because, of course, it's only about 10 angstroms across, uh, one ten millionth of, a, uh, of an inch. Now, if you were to magnify it continuously until finally you could see it with the width of a piece of wrapping string, it would extend from where, if I did it one point from here, from here approximately 1,000 miles, that string, and along each inch as you progressed, you would read off about 20-odd well, uh, letters of the genetic code in every inch. That is how much um, we throw away uh, when we allow one species to go extinct, about which more uh, in a moment. So this is the uh, truly awesome world of the biologist. Upwards of 30 million species of organisms, plants, animals, microorganisms, uh, only 1.4 million, 1 million 400,000 have been given a scientific name, but we estimate as many as 30 million exist on Earth, most of them unknown to science, uh, each a world in itself beyond our ability to understand in full as yet. Pick up a handful of soil from outside this room and you will hold in your hand in the form of the living organisms and their DNA and their histories and their life cycles, uh, more complexity, uh, Pacey, Professor Van Allen, more than exist on all of the surface of the planets put together. In college at the University of Alabama, I concentrated in biology, as many of you will, uh, and I set out to become an expert on the social insects, the bees, wasps, ants, termites. In an early stage of my career, I worked out the chemical language of ants. I found out, for example, that colonies communicate with from 10 to 20 different chemical substances that they release in droplets and liquid and puffs of gas, a silent and uh, extremely efficient way to uh, run a society has been said. Uh, in fact, and, uh, Einstein said it, that a creative life is built around only two or three ideas in particular to that person. Uh, my first was that we can explain a large amount. Uh, in fact, uh, may I be so bold as to say we can explain everything about the social life of animals uh, on the basis of heredity shaped by Darwinian natural selection, so that virtually every feature of social life leads to better survival and reproduction. The second pivotal idea on which I've worked, sometimes through bitter opposition, is that what I've just said about animals is also true of human beings. We're capable of species of 
amazing achievements and exalted feelings, but the foundations of human nature, the really distinctive greed, altruism, heroism, love, and so forth, are grounded in our genes, which have in turn evolved by natural selection, the imperatives of survival and reproduction. Now, uh, that is a genuinely dangerous idea, uh, but uh, as Oscar Wilde once said, no idea that is not dangerous is, not, is worthy of uh, the name. This brings me to the third theme, and I will conclude uh, in my life. Somewhere along the way, along with biologists like Dick Schultes and George Schaller, I discovered that the world of life is shrinking swiftly at an accelerating rate due to the destruction of natural habitats, particularly the tropical forest, where in the process of extinguishing one-fourth or more of the species of plants and animals in the world, the worst such catastrophe since the end of the age of dinosaurs 65 million years ago, and through carelessness and ignorance and actions that could be avoided with more knowledge and better planning and without damaging the economy and social progress of individual countries, we are throwing away a large part of the natural heritage of this world. It's like burning the Louvre in order to light Paris for a night. And our descendants won't forgive us for that. There are two great catastrophes in my judgment that are in front of us that could happen. One is global nuclear war, and the other is the mass, massive species extinction that we are perpetrating. They are respectively the heart attack and cancer of environmental health. In conclusion, then, you have the ability to excel, and you are the future leaders among them. Scatter out, find out what you can do best, make it count for the good of somebody other than yourself. Don't be afraid to be alone um, or even uh, unfashionable. Don't follow crowds. Remember that nobody got to be a general by joining the Army at the end of the war. Thank you. If you aren't familiar with the poem Bedtime Story, it tells about the world being controlled by insects, most likely ants. And I wanted to know if you noticed any similarities in your work between insect behavior and human behavior. No. No? <laughs> My name is Michael Arney. I'm from Maryland. Um, I really have two questions. First of all is, um, why have your ideas about human sociobiology come under so much um, attack from other people, especially, I guess, Stephen Gould from Harvard? And the second question is, how is it that if we can only name and discover 1.4 uh, million species, how can they guess that there's another 29 million out there? Right. I answer first question. Um, sociobiology, human, applied to human. It's not controversial when applied to animals. It's applied to human. I think it primarily created, it created uh, dissent and opposition primarily, uh, as best I can judge it, because it seems to chip away at our sense of uniqueness uh, and uh, our sense of free will. Uh, my answer to that is um, that uh, I think a foundation of human nature in the natural world in which we evolve exalts humanity uh, rather than uh, lowers it, uh, and uh, we, in fact, will have more options the better we understand our own natures and origins. So that's the short answer to that first question of why uh, there 
is a great deal of opposition. Also, well, another reason why sociobiology is opposed, particularly among uh, residual forces of the social sciences, is that um, you know, in order to get into it, it's between socio it's the, between the social sciences and biology. You have to learn biology, and, and many social scientists don't find that very congenial. Um, the um, uh, as to how we can estimate the number of species that. 30 million is not an, a firm figure. Uh, different biologists uh, have estimates, have made estimates, uh, run anywhere from very conservatively 5 million to 30 million or more. And uh, these estimates are based upon uh, samples of uh, uh, forest and other major habitats in which saturation collecting was done. And then we get the ratios of known to unknown species and extrapolate to the rest of the world. Uh, how accurate those extrapolations are, of course, depend on the peculiarity of species that are found in the sample areas as opposed to other sample areas. And that's where some debate is going. But I, am, uh, I think virtually all biologists agree that the number of described species is considerably less than one half of the number of species that actually exist on the Earth. Um, uh, just a, a parting comment on this. Uh, for example, we know about 3,000 species of bacteria, and we th most people think we know the bacterial world very well. We haven't even begun to explore the bacterial world. We know 3,000 species, and uh, there could be uh, 10 times that many. Most bacterial species exist incommunicado. That means they, they live in, in low densities, dormant, and they don't proliferate until they have ex the exact right microenvironment, the right pH, the right nutrients, and so on. When we start exploring the world of bacteria, trying out various media, extreme temperatures, pH, and so on, I think we're going to be absolutely astonished at the bacterial world alone. Dr. Wilson, you say in your book on human nature that the reason the human anatomy is the way it is is not because of just a random mutation, but because of that Darwinian uh, natural selection. My question to you is then, if the human species is ever-changing, ever-evolving, if society is changing along with us, by your theory, what's in store for the human body? What are we going to look like, say, in 5,000 years? We're going to look exactly like what we decide we want to look uh, because we are beginning to understand our own heredity uh, with uh, rapidity. Uh, the Human Genome Project, project may, uh, in fact, if uh, actu actualized. I, I would prefer to see a, a world, uh, a study of the world fauna and flora first, but that's another matter. But if it is, if we achieve it, and then we go on and we translate that into gene maps, you know, as opposed to just DNA sequencing, we're going to know our full heredity. And we are reaching the point rapidly where we understand the, the genetic basis of a great deal of variation, human variation in both anatomy and behavior. So it will be within our power to decide what we look like and, in fact, to some extent, what we think like. Uh, my best guess is that we won't tamper with it except to uh, correct, obviously, uh, pathological and uh, 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 destructive uh, and fatal conditions. We'll, you know, we'll use it in a therapeutic, that knowledge in a therapeutic manner, but my best bet is that we will not want to change uh, human anatomy very much or human nature because, after all, what else have we got? Thank you. <laughs>